what we're gonna do to start off for our fairy tale episode we are going to well i'm going to talk about monomyth that is as common throughout culture and the world and history when it comes to myths and legends so in majority if not all myths you can find the monomyth of the hero's journey a hero goes on an adventure and has a decisive crisis and he wins victory and then comes home changed or transformed joseph campbell who wrote hero the hero with a thousand faces summarized the basic narrative pattern a hero ventures forth from the world of a common day into a region of supernatural wonder fabulous forces are there encountered and a decisive victory is won the hero comes back from this mysterious adventure with the power to bestow boons on his fellow man. The hero's journey has a couple of different stages that need to take place for it to occur. The great thing about these is that you can generally find them in, if not all, a majority of myths and legends that are out in the world. Hero's journey or the uh, hero born and raised in obscurity, unknown. King Arthur is a really good example of this. Hidden and he grew up as the second son of farmers. Uh, Harry Potter is a really good example of this. He was thrown in with the Dursleys to live in Muggles on not knowing about his own past or his own uh, place in history. Call to adventure. So Arthur pulling the sword from the stone when people start to notice him. We have Harry where he begins getting his letters from Hogwarts. And then you have where they meet a helper. Arthur meets Merlin, obviously, and begins to gather his knights and harry potter meets ron and hermione as he gathers his helpers they then cross a threshold of adventure where basically the hero can turn back and choose to not take this route anymore some call it kind of jumping off a cliff um it can be anywhere like actually crossing a physical border such as in Harry Potter when you're crossing from nine and three quarters or you're stepping, um, you're rounding around the lake as first years go in the boat and seeing Hogwarts for the first time. He then encounters tests as he goes through in this underworld experience or this other world experience and meets people who are testing him as well as those who will aid him or give some sort of assistance when he needs. The hero will then, at the pinnacle of his cycle, meet or undergo a supreme ordeal or trial or crisis, and then triumphs over the test or ordeal and gains the reward. This could be a recognition of father creator, of a mother goddess figure of the world, a recognition of his own either mortality or even immortality. Uh, Harry has this recognition in Philosopher's Stone, uh, the first book or movie, when he realizes that Burl, uh, who's acting as like an avatar or um, a peon of Voldemort, Girl can't touch him because there is some sort of barrier between the two. So he comes to grips with this own divinization, right? His his godlike power when he can hurt Quirrell more than Quirrell can hurt him. And then he wins a boon or a gift or a prize at the end of it. Then at the return, emerges from this underbelly, some sort of return, resurrection, and then reemerges positive hope. And then the boon that he has won or brought out has now restored the world or will assist the mankind around him. You've spoken about the hero cycle in relation to folklore, fairy tales, 
mythology and legends. I'm going to discuss fairy tales in general and what they are and how they relate to anthropology. Fairy tale is a story. It's often intended for children that features fanciful and wondrous characters such as elves, goblins, wizards, and even but not necessarily fairies. Fairy tales are often traditional. Many have been passed down from storyteller to storyteller to storyteller before being recorded in books. The oral tradition of the fairy tale came along before the written page, obviously. Tales were told or enacted rather than written down and handed down from generation to generation, with each generation changing the story slightly or wholly. Fairy tales have ancient roots. An example of a oral fairy tale that eventually was written down was Beowulf. That one slipped my mind. Uh, Beowulf was told. Beowulf is a great story. I highly recommend it. The story, I, I remember we read it in grade 12 literature. And we read it in the original Old English? Whatever it's written in, I can't remember. Anyways, my point is that's an example of a story that was told to people generationally and then eventually written down and so fairy tales evolve characters change settings and plots are altered to pass on to the next generation anthropologists can have different versions of the same story from different cultures and then they will try to find the origin of this story fairy tales will have similar plots characters and spread across many different cultures Many researchers hold this to be caused by the spread of such tales as people repeat tales that they have heard in foreign lands. The Grimm brothers were amongst the first to try to preserve the features of oral tales by obviously writing down these stories. According to folklorist Sarah Grassa de Silver, she's from the New University of Libsyn, and she says that folklore, folk tales are often disregarded as lesser forms of literature, but they're valuable source of information on cultural history. Despite being fictitious, they work as simulations of reality. By understanding our stories, we understand ourselves. I found this little, I love creation stories so much. I love knowing the origins, the beginnings of cultures, things, the earth, anything. So I was looking for origin stories and fairy tales in general, and I found one called Why the Sea is Salt. It's an origin story of the sea. This particular story is from Norway. It's by Peter Christian as Bjornsson and Jorgen Mo. I am sorry if that's not at all how you say the names. This was written in 1841 and then translated into English by George Desant in 1859. Why the sea is salt. Once there were two brothers, one rich and one poor. The poor brother had no food, so he went to see his rich brother and asked him for a slab of bacon. I will give you the bacon if you do what I ask. Anything, said the poor brother, as he was very hungry. Go to hell. The rich brother gave the slab of bacon, who agreed to go to hell. He asked a man walking by if he knew where he would find hell. The man gave him directions and told him to be wary of trades with devils, traded only for the hand kiern and nothing else. The poor brother continued his journey, and upon his arrival, he saw and met many devils who wanted his bacon. He would not trade it until he came across a devil with a hand kiern. So a kiln is, think of a mortar and pestle, you're grinding down your grain, your herb, your oatmeal. That's what 
he's looking for is a kern. I will trade you this bacon for your kern, he said to the devil. Fine, I will show you how to use it. Beware of giving it to others without showing them how to use it first. It is powerful. Beware of what you ask from it. The poor brother made the trade, left hell, and went home. He put the kern on the kitchen table and said, Grind herrings and broth, and grind them good and fast. Out of the kiln came herring after herring, and after that broth poured out. The brother stopped the kiln and ate his soup. The poor brother used his kiln to make plates of gold until he had enough gold to build a house by the sea and covered in gold so it glistened far away over the sea. He never had to worry about food or money ever again. One day, a ship arrived at the shore, and the skipper asked if the kiln could make salt. It will make you anything you ask of it, said the brother. The skipper asked if he could use it to make salt so he would no longer have to cross the stormy seas. As the brother had more than enough gold to last him, he gave the kiln to the skipper. But before he could tell him how to use it, the skipper ran to his boat with the kiln in case the man changed his mind. Once he was far off in the sea, the skipper pulled out the kiln and said, Grind salt, and grind it both good and fast. The kiln began to grind salt so that it poured out like water. And when the skipper had got the ship full, he wished to stop the kiln, but could not. Out poured the salt everywhere into the ship, and that ship sank into the sea. There lies the kiln at the bottom of the sea and grinds away to this very day. And that is why the sea is salt. So there's many variations of this story from different countries to explain why the sea is salty. And the story that I just told, I, re I reduced it quite a bit. It is much longer. Um, but we only have so much time. So there's Frodi's Mill from Iceland, the coffee mill which grinds salt from Denmark, why seawater is salty from Germany, why the ocean is salty from the Philippines. I will put up on the website all the links to these fairy tales. And they are very interesting and they're all listed so you can read them. This was just one example and it was the first example that I liked. And I thought it was an interesting story, but they all basically are the same thing. Some use bricks of salt at the bottom of the sea. One uses, you know, a coffee mill to grind salt. Same thing. It gets stuck on a ship. But how they acquire it and who acquires it varies from tale to tale. Okay, so how does that story influence or shape the culture in which it was created? Because you said it was from Norway? That version was from Norway. But basically, they are trying to explain why the sea is salty. Because a lake is not, right? True, yeah, of course. A lake is not salty, but the sea is salty. So they need to come up with a way to explain that. And like I said, most of the versions have this kiln or mill or grinder or something that ends up at the bottom of the sea that you can't stop. And so it just keeps going on and on. And that's how they explain the sea as being salty. So that's how these cultures explained that. That's actually really interesting too, because you're actually, that story is almost taking a mix of fantasy as well as science fiction. Because the difference that some people may or may not realize with the two genres of stories is that science fiction obviously has a scientific explanation. Whereas a fantasy is, it's magic, or it is because mm -hmm. it is, it's not expecting a scientific explanation as to why something doesn't stop grinding when you try and physically stop it, or when you ask it to stop, or why, where is all this plenty coming from? So it's actually quite interesting that they're trying to create a scientific-esque explanation 
to explain something that they're not necessarily 100% sure about. Yeah, they're basically trying to figure out, again, a lake is not salty, a river is not salty, but this ocean, this vast ocean, these communities living by the sea, they need a way to explain why this this is like this. And for them, that at that time, that's how they explain it. And I think it was really interesting, especially when I looked at different places, like the Philippines, their story varied a bit. They had like bricks of salt, but um, the ones from like Iceland and Germany were a bit more similar. And like I said, it'll be on the website and you can go read these stories yourself. And I highly recommend it. One type of the origin myth is the cosmogonic myth, which describes the creation of the world. In this case, the salt in the sea. It's actually really quite interesting, too, because if you're um, looking into the use of the tale of the magic salt mill grinding away on the seafloor, it's actually almost truer than one could have imagined. Scientists actually began in 1970 to discover hydrothermal vents and I found that the sea through these vents act as like a magic salt mill almost. See? So it's fascinating the way that that mythology is almost spot on. Yeah. They weren't wrong. It's just they didn't have the science to back like to explain that. Whereas now you can explain why the sea is salty. It's really interesting, too, because if you look at it, um, like a salt kiern, a kiern? Kiern. 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 Um, like a, a hand mill is quite big. It's mm-hmm. quite heavy. And, it's, and it takes a lot of manpower to make, right? And to, to begin turning to grind. Yeah, that's what this is. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, um, we'll pop a couple of pictures on the website as well, just so you can kind of get an idea about how big we're talking about. No, it's just, it's interesting, especially when the fact that the discoveries from the 70s like it basically is mm-hmm. almost spot on with that yeah that's pretty cool like you know 100 and a bit years later they talk about that very thing so that's awesome so that is just a example of a little origin story we're going to continue and i think we're going to do a grim's brother tale Bro- a, a yep brother's grim tale yep that's exactly what i tried to say grim bros jacob and Wilhelm Grimm from Germany, and they started publishing their fairy tales in 1812. So they were two of eight children. I mean, you can find all this information on Wikipedia, but they just went around the countryside and they started writing down the tales that villagers, peasants would tell them. And of course, many of them were similar in different areas. They'd gather stories and they would kind of combine them into one standardized story that could cover you know from east to west or north to south of germany and would make sense for anybody who'd read the book they would understand and see their own story within it a pretty common story is cinderella cinderella has a really enduring appeal the rags to riches tale the heroine who engages with the classic family comp conflicts ranging from civil rivalry jealousy as much as you definitely want to say it's the beauty within fairy tales rely a lot on a surface-based appearance so cinderella's beauty and her magnificent attire single her out as the fairest in the land which is a big thing when it comes to attracting a mate, but she also has what they consider a kind heart. There are other versions of Cinderella prior to the Brothers Grimm, like this is just one of the more common well-known ones, 
mainly because Disney went and bastardized it for money in the 50s. And then again, the giant cod piece in 2017. I didn't like that version. I don't know. I think King of the North should not have been King of Charming. With those fake blue eye contacts? I know the girl from Downton Abbey was in it, but I just didn't like her. Anyways. Alright, so Cinderella, uh, while we will stem from the Brothers Grimm version, because uh, it is most well known thanks to Disney from the 50s and from 2017's Codpiece edition, there are about a dozen different stories that precede the written story of the Grimm brothers. Mina's got one from the first century. The ancient Greek story of Rhodopis, a Greek courtesan living in the colony of Necratus in Egypt. And this was recorded by Greek geographer Strabo. And then there is another one reported by the Roman orator Alien. I'm so sorry if I can't pronounce these names properly. There's also one from the 12th century, a Cinderella story called The Ash Tree Girl. And they're a little bit different. Then Roisin has one she's going to bring up. So the one that actually uh, that I have found that closely resembles the modern story of Cinderella that we know of is actually the 9th century Yang Xian. It was recorded in China by Tuan Chengxing. Oh, forgive me. Forgive me. Like the Western interpretation of Cinderella and Cinderella's, Yang Xing is a humble creature and she discharges the household chores. She's subjected to the humiliating treatment at the hands of her stepmother and stepsister, and her salvation appears in the form of a 10-foot-long fish that provides her with gold, pearls, dresses, and food. The Cinderellas who follow in the footsteps are all beneficiaries of magical donors who provide food, garments, or whatever it is needed to escape the abusive situation. In the Brothers Grimm's version of Cinderella, which we'll just quickly synopsize for you in a minute, Aschenputtel, which is the German name, a tree that Cinderella built, uh, planted over her mother's grave is what showers her with gifts. And in Charles Perrault's version, which Disney borrowed a lot from as well, a fairy godmother provides the coach, the footman, and the beautiful garments. So they're all helped in this mystical kind of avenue and adventure, right? So you can kind of draw Cinderella's hero's cycle or hero's journey too from that because you do have a mystical helper of sorts. It also does get quite bloody which is part of my favorite when the stepsisters get their comeuppance Mm -hmm. it's quite the schadenfreude is so there like the the satisfaction karma yes okay so let's talk a little bit about cinderella well i mean let's just do a quick summary obviously so the this is not the disney version no once again this is Closer to the original versions. There is blood and violence. Cinderella starts off the same way. Beautiful young girl, mother and father. Mother falls ill one day. As she is nearing the end, she tells her daughter, Cinderella, be good, be helpful. Prayer, I'll be there to watch over you. And the father, the mother passes away. And the uh, little girl goes to her mother's grave every day. And she prays to her mother and she talks to her. And then the dad comes home one day and he's like, okay, I'm going to get married. Like, you have a stepmother, you have two stepsisters involved. And this is all fine and dandy. 
So her sisters, uh, sex sisters, are jealous. They are they are described as with beautiful faces and fair skin, but with hearts that were foul and black. And it marks the beginning of the the poor treatment of Cinderella, which her father somehow overlooks. Which you really have to wonder what kind of absentee father. Despite the fact that he's been an only father, a single dad for how many years, and he doesn't even notice when his daughter is being treated like poo? Well, maybe she doesn't want to say anything. You know, she's got a new stepmother. You know, she doesn't want to rock the boat because she's just a good little girl. Oh, that's just irritating. Good girl's my butt. So, dad's a merchant. That's great. Um, he goes to a fair and he asks his three daughters what they would like for him to bring back. You know, the stepsisters are vain and greedy, so they demand beautiful dresses, pearls, roses, uh, jewels for the two girls. When he asks his daughter Cinderella what he she would like, she asks for a branch, the first branch that brushes against his hat on the way home from the fair. And that's what she wants. She's very sentimental. Very humble. Very humble, sentimental. She wants that branch because it touches his hat. That's so sweet. This is actually, um, if you watch the Beauty and the Beast with Emma Watson that just came out, um, that is actually part of, you can see it carries, because that same idea where, you know, Belle just wants a flower. Mm-hmm, that's right. Cinderella just wants a branch. It's a lot of nature visuals as opposed to something materialistic like that. He comes home, the daughters are ecstatic for their physical manifestation of material items that they're given and cinderella gets her branch and she plants it on her mother's grave in this one the dad doesn't actually die which is really strange he's just where is he he's just absent for all the stuff that's about to happen yeah basically he's on a work trip probably yeah. merchant He's out work. Yeah, makes sense. He's out merchanting. This tale has a festival that will last for three days. There will be three balls, one's every night. Every beautiful young lady is invited in the land so that a son can get a bride. The stepsisters are invited. And Cinderella is called, you know, brush out our hair, brush our shoes, fasten our buckles. We're going to the wedding. Cinderella does what she's told. She asks if she can go to the ball. The stepmother is... Finding all these reasons that she can't go, but then finally relents and says, Hey, I've dumped a bowl of lentils into the ashes, and you can pick out all the lentils in the next two hours. You can go. That's great. Which you will recognize this scene if you watched Into the Woods, where Ooh, Anna, Anna Kendrick, Kendrick has to pick up the bowl of lentils because they knock them on the floor. Yep. The 1950s cartoon does lay into this. She has little birdie helpers. She's got the little mice and everything like that. That's great. The live action part kind of glides over this part, right? So she calls to the birds. And what does she do? Uh, she asks birds to come and help her. And the good ones put the good ones in the pot and put the bad ones into a little crop. And then birds come and help her. She does the lentil things. Obviously, the mother, the stepmother, reneges on the on the agreement and says, "Just go fuck yourself, girl." She goes crying to her mother's grave, and all of a sudden, she hears a voice. Just what's wrong, honey? Like, let me tell you. She shake your branches, little tree, toss gold and silver down on me. So they base, so birds in the tree toss down a gown made of gold and silver, mm. and along with silver, uh, silver and gold shoes. So she gets dressed up and she goes to the ball. It's great. He falls in love with her. That's amazing. The prince 
Okay, so she goes, she dances with the prince, and then she's like, oh, I have to go, and he wants to escort her home, but she's like, no, fuck that. Prince waits until Cinderella's father arrives, because he was somewhere else. Returns home, and then there's Cinderella lying in the ashes or whatnot. So the next day, festivities, same deal. She wants to go, can't go. Third day, obviously, three-day three festival. Down a even more radiant more splendid dress than anything else and the same thing with the slippers when she got to the wedding she gets to the party and when she was going to go home she slipped away so quickly that she wasn't able to find it so the entire staircase is coated in a black tar substance which is how cinderella loses her original shoe black tar yeah it's like a it's pitch sure i don't know what that is but I'm, i'm gonna google it now pitch let's all google it it's black tar stuff on the steps she loses her shoe, and then I assume she goes home. Yes, and then the next day he goes around and he's like, only the woman whose shoe fits this foot fits a shoe. So they're going around door to door, obviously, and the two stepsisters are overjoyed. They have great feet. The elder mo- goes with her mother into a special room to try it on, but the shoe was too small for her and she couldn't get her big toe in. The mother handed her a knife and says, cut your toe off. Once you're queen, you won't need to go on foot anymore. And the girl sliced her fucking toe off, forced her foot into the shoe, gritted her teeth, and went out to meet the prince. He lifts her up on the chair or on the horse and says, this is my bride. This is great. And as they go past the mother's grave, birds call out, Roo-coo-coo, roo-coo-coo, blood is dripping from the shoe. The foot's too long and far too wide. Go back and find the proper bride. So as he can see that there's blood spurting from the shoe, he turns around the horse and he brings back the false sister. The other stepsister then tries on the shoe. Uh, success is in getting her toes in, but her heel is far too big. Her mother then hands her a knife as well and says, cut off the part of your heel. Once you're queen, you won't need to go on foot anymore. Girl slices off a piece of her heel, goes towards the prince, he carries her away, and the fucking birds start. I'm not doing that again. I bet there's like a gory version like this that we're gonna, we have to look for to watch. There has to be. There has to be. There also has to be a terrible picture, or a terrible version of Sleeping Beauty too. We're gonna have to look for it and watch somebody chop their heel off if you guys by chance know hit us up at an an email or something like that and let us know because we would love to watch it i would love to know he's like do you have another daughter he's like there's cinderella but she can't possibly be your bride and then she manages obviously to slip her foot into the shoe in front of everybody they're not taken to a secret room and obviously the stepmother and daughters are horrified and they're angry so he rides off with cinderella which is great right so on the day of the ceremony the two false sisters come and try and curry favor and share in her good fortune and when the bridal company enter the church the elder sister on the right the younger on the left the doves pecked out an eye from each sister later when they left the church the elder sister on the left and the younger on the right the doves pecked out the other eye from each sister and then they were punished for their wickedness and malice and with blindness for the rest of their lives and then is that is that the end yeah oh so they just peck out the eyes and happily ever after yeah cinderella is rewarded and the stepsisters yeah that's right the reward and they're the villains yeah so they've been punished that's that's a great thing i love about fairy tales is y'all think it's a happy ending but a lot of the times, it's just, this is the punishment, and that's the end of the story. Period. Space. There's no redemption down the road, right? Perot is a little bit, ooh, well, he's French. So there is a little bit of redemption, but he, his fairy tales are a lot of allusions to the French courts, 
we'll get into Red Riding Hood at some point as well. That's Cinderella. It's one of my favorite grim tales, mainly because mm-hmm. the sisters, ugh, it's just so nice to have them get what they deserve. Although the stepmother doesn't. No. You know what my favorite live action version, though, is Ever After, starring Drew Barrymore. Oh, Angelica Houston. So we might be dating ourselves, but if you haven't seen it Ever After with Drew Barrymore, and it's a Cinderella story set in France, even though they all have British accents. Oh, and Drew Barrymore has a terrible British accent. Oh, but she's so sweet. And she's Cinderella, you know, she's got the two stepsisters. Angelica Houston's a terrible stepmom. It's such a good story, though. It's very, um, she's highly educated, and the prince is educated, but he doesn't want to be the prince. It's just such a sweet story. I highly recommend that version. No one's getting their eyes pecked out. People who deserve their just desserts get their desserts. Like, it's, it's good. It's good. It's got a good ending, and I really like it. Speaking of modern versions... Her story is actually constantly rewritten. Working Girl with Melanie Griffith. Great movie as well. Pretty Woman with Julia Roberts. So, you know, little 20-year-olds, I'm telling you, go Netflix, rent, rent. Stream these movies. They're classics. They're so good. They're feel-good. And they're Cinderella stories. They offer, and I quote... Striking evidence that we continue to recycle the story to manage our cultural anxieties and conflicts about courtship. That's dating for you youngins. And a few fairy tales actually enjoy the rich literary, cinematic, and musical afterlife of Cinderella. You can watch Made in Manhattan with uh, Rafe Fines. Ralph? Ooh, Rafe. Rafe He's Fiennes. in it too, yeah. Voldemort. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Connecting to Harry Potter. So Made in Manhattan is also another version. Fairy tales, they keep evolving. We're reading a version by the Brothers Grimm, and then we connect that to a Drew Barrymore version or Working Girl from the 80s to Made in Manhattan with Jennifer Lopez. These are the same fairy tales and stories that are recycled and retold. That can also be taken, it's not even just stories either. If you look at AOC in the States... It's not even just stories. It's take a look in politics right now. Uh, AOC, Alexia Ocasio-Cortez. Rags to Riches story. Bartender, waitress. She's the first, like, she's a Democratic, first-term Democratic representative. And she has people running scared. Like, Republicans are running scared from her. And it's, it's great because, you know, people are still trying to use her background as a bartender in Brooklyn or something like that as, as something that's a negative aspect of her entire personality. And it's not. It's, it humbles you, but it also makes you 100% aware of what's going on in the real world, right? Reflects in the story of Cinderella. Because she works hard. She's honest and she does these things and it pans out for her. Originally, I posted that we'd be doing like Irish fairy tales because Roisin is half Irish and then we just decided that we just felt like starting out nice and easy with a little Cinderella a little how the sea became salty but we definitely plan on taking fairy tales and discussing them from different cultures because anthropology so we will do some Celtic ones definitely come back to the brothers Grimm for sure because I love the way they tell their stories If you would like to hear any stories from certain cultures or countries, you can send us a message and let us know. You're on Tumblr or our Facebook page, which is 
Anthropology Stories podcast, pretty easy to find on Facebook. And then we have a website, anthrostories.com. That's pretty simple. And you can message us. Yeah, and we will post our some of our notes and references, books, and pictures that we've found during kind of our researching stage. I also, I really want to thank everyone that listened to our first little intro ep- episode. I am so sorry I sound so wooden. We recorded that in my house, and my husband was in one room watching who knows what, and then... Uh, I had two hamsters in the other room running on their wheel. It was our first episode, so we had no idea what we were doing, and no. our setup was pretty... We we made our own... What is this thing called? Pop filter. Pop filter. We made our own with the embroidery hoop and a pair of pantyhose, but we didn't have anything to attach it to, so we kind of... We j- used like a basic little baby art easel to hold it up to... Sort of, uh, yeah. To a mic. So we have a little bit of a better setup right now. Shout out to my school, VIU. Thank you, Vancouver Island University. See See you next Tuesday. Tuesday.